thank you, God, that you have brought us together. I praise you, Lord, that you love us so much. Just give you praise. That's all that we're doing, Lord. We're just saying thank you for all that you've done for us. And we recognize that you're God. And I thank you, Lord, as soon as we do that, thank you, Lord, that our eyes are open. Your word says that that's the same thing that happens in salvation. And as soon as we keep doing that, every time we do that, we just surrender. We get in our opinions, get in our mind, we surrender it all. I thank you, Lord, that you bring us into a new eye-opening, Lord, of, of who you are, of more of you. We just pray, Lord, that you do that today through your word in Jesus' name. So I was um, just seeking the Lord. I said, Lord, what do you have for your people? And what I have to be cautious of is, um, is uh, I'm going through my own things as well. The Lord's always dealing with each of us, right? In little ways. It might just be, you might just turn on the radio and you just hear one thing and it's something that the Lord, you just know that's from the Lord or someone says something in a conversation and we can do that all day, every day, little moments can be coming. And I have to be cautious though to not maybe bring something the Lord's doing in me to the pulpit. And that sometimes I have to figure that out. Is that just for me, you dealing with me? Or is this something you want me to share? So I had um, spent some time with the Lord that morning and um, spent quite a bit of time with him just praying and I wasn't seeking for the word for the church or anything. And I just, just spending time with him personally. And then um, I got in the car and I just took a little drive. And while I was driving, I said, Lord, you know, where do you want to take? What do you want me to say to the church? What do you have for this week? And uh, a song came on the radio and I've probably heard it before. It seemed like the first time that I've heard it. I've probably heard it, but this particular time, it was like brand new and fresh. So I don't remember if I knew it before, but um, Mariah's going to play it for us. Just want you to look, um, you can read the words along and listen to this song. Um, it really sparked something in me. I believe it is what he's saying for today.
it really touched me. I believe that uh, as soon as I heard, I, I, could, I just was sp- literally speaking the words out right as I, the song was playing, and I turned it right up. I said, what is this song? And I knew that it was the Lord speaking. And, you know, those words, they come right from Jesus. Jesus said those words, thy will be done. I'm going to open that up in the book of Matthew, Mariah, uh, if we could turn to Thank you, Lord. You can turn to the book of Luke, actually. Chapter 22, it's in Matthew, it's in Mark, it's in Luke. Let's go with the one in Luke here. I have all three here, but I'm going to open the one in Luke. Chapter 22. Jesus is, he just finishes the Last Supper with his disciples. And they're walking along and He tells them that, you know, some things are going to happen and I'm going to be raised from the dead. He was speaking what was about to be happened to his disciples. Jesus was fully aware. And that's where, you know, we read that disciples are, you know, still wondering what Jesus is talking about. They're still not getting it, but Jesus was fully aware. Jesus knew what he had to do. He knew what he would have to face. And yet it says that he comes to his father. He comes to him and he says, actually, Mariah, I'm sorry, back, we don't have it anyway. In chapter 26 in Matthew, sorry, I'm a little over the place here today. In the book of Matthew, chapter 26, verse 36, he says, And Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, Sit here while I go over there to pray. And he took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And he went on a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my father. Jesus knew what was coming. He just told his disciples they didn't get it, but he was fully aware of the Lord's will for his life. He was fully aware of what was going to take place just a little while later. And yet he comes to his father and you can just hear. He says he's crushed. He's crying out when he says, my father. I feel like, you know, many of us, you're going through some things in your life and we can do this. We can even know his will, but it's just so, can, can be so heavy on you, can be so hard sometimes, even what you know the Lord's got you called for, and you go and you cry out to him. You say, my father. And Jesus being Jesus, right? He says, right here, he says, I'm Jesus, so in my name, this cross, I rebuke you, and in my name, I don't have to do it. Amen. Jesus didn't say that. 
Jesus says, if it is possible. And I really, I can't believe that Jesus, the Son of God, it says in the book of Mark that he says, everything is possible for you. He's, te- he's talking to his father, Father, everything's possible, if it's possible. And in the book of Luke, it says, Father, if you are willing, there's just different translations. That's why I, brought, I have all three here. If you're willing. The point is that he comes to the Father and says a plea. My Father, if it's possible, I know it's possible, but if you're willing, please let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will. Thy will be done. Thy will be done. And even though he said, thy will be done, and even though he's Jesus, the Son of God, it says that he went and prayed this prayer three times. Someone, I was just talking and someone said, if you give your will, it's like giving someone money. You can't keep taking it back. And I was like, you're right. That's true. But then I read these words. Even Jesus says, your will be done. But it was so heavy on him, what the Lord had called him to do, where he had placed him. And in this particular position, knowing full well what was coming, he came to him and he says, Father, I'm, t- I'm trying to get your will in my life. I'm trying. I'm, tr- I'm doing everything I can to get that will down in here. And I'm making, I'm praying because I'm making myself get it. But is there another way? And it says in Luke chapter 22, verse 43, that an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. And it says in verse 44 that he prayed more fervently. And then finally, back in Matthew, it says, so he went a third time saying the same things again. The Lord really, as I listened to those words of that song, and then I I went right home and I opened it right up. I knew where the words were. And I said, Lord, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, had a purpose. He had a purpose to take our sins and go to the cross and lay down his life. And he was raised again when he fulfilled that purpose, when he listened, when he obeyed, and then was seated at the right hand of God, giving us entrance. We're here today because of that. Gave us entrance, not just into eternity, But even more than that, the whole purpose of life itself, which is to have communion with God. That's the whole reason. You've heard it said that you have a purpose on this earth. God puts you here to do something. That's not the the whole truth. That's a truth. But your purpose is not something that you need to do for God. The real purpose you're here is just to know God. It's much simpler than doing. Yes, once you get to know God, Jesus had an intimate relationship with him. He says, my father, in fact, the words are more than just father's formal in American English. But the actual word was Abba, which means daddy. 
It was the most intimate form of relationship with his father. It was daddy. I, you know, daddy. It's, we say that when we're young, when we're small, when we're innocent, <laughs> or when you're adults by accident. <laughs> Or in the third person, women love to talk about, when they talk to their dads, hi, dad, but when they talk about their dad, you know, to their mom, daddy said this, right? Right? Even as adults. <laughs> it's the most intimate form of father is daddy. And Jesus is saying, daddy. In that moment, he was just humble. He was broken. He was torn. He knew God's plan. He's Jesus. This isn't a story about one of the men in the Bible who did something amazing. This is a story about Jesus, the Son of God. And he prayed like this. Nonetheless, your will be done. You know, it says, referring to this exact story, in the book of Hebrews, it says in chapter 4 that we have this high priest, Jesus Christ. The priest was a man in the old, it was in the old system, in the old way, there was a priest and he would represent you. He stood in between you and God. And then Jesus Christ comes and he, he tears the curtain Right? Remember, the, the veil was torn between the intimacy, the place of connection between you and God. Jesus tore that and took that place, and it says he became our high priest. But it says that he was not a priest that didn't sympathize with us. It says that he is a high priest who knows what you go through, because it says that he went through them himself. In fact, in chapter 5, it says in verse 7, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7 says, Who in the days of his flesh, this is Jesus Christ, in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with cries and tears, he's pleading before, the, before God, it says that, he prayed, he cried out to the one who could rescue him from death, and God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. In verse 8, even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. Verse 9, in this way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest, and he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. Now that was Jesus' plan. That was his purpose. But the writer here in Hebrews was able to write this, was able to write this conclusion. He became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him because he said, your will be done. Imagine, I know it's impossible to imagine, but imagine if Jesus said, my will be done. He didn't say that, did he? Sorry for that. <laughs> I just kept hearing that in my head this morning as, you know, that's funny. That's what we do, though. My will be done. My will be done. You know, the world we live in, 
will always call you a fool. They just, nobody got Jesus. They thought he was a fool. They still think he's a fool today. But Jesus was not interested in the opinions of the world. He didn't care what anyone said. He had a commission from the Father. And even though it made him pray to God three times, if there's another way, he still listened, even as we know, even unto such stress that he ended up coming. There's an actual, the scientific, if you were here on Easter Sunday, I explained it, that it's a scientific condition that we, we figured out through science, but it was in the Word, well before science caught up with it, that his skin began to sweat blood. He was that stressed, that pulled apart and torn apart as we can be with situations we're in. And that's what the, the woman writing this song, she's, I watched an interview about her and she said, um, I'm not going to tell you what I went through to write this because I want to give you some time to be able to hear the song and for you to identify. She didn't want you to get a picture of her story. She wants you to say, what is that moment in your life where you just have to say your will be done? What is it? And, you know, I think it can be just as simple as, it can literally just be as simple as, it doesn't have to be a moment of life and death. It doesn't have to be a pivotal moment where this is it. Everything's been set up for this. This is what God's called you for, and you are here to complete it. It doesn't even have to be that. See, Jesus had already surrendered his will long before this. He had lived... For 33 years at this point when he prayed this prayer in the Lord's will. Because the Bible says, and if it, if it wasn't true, it wouldn't say it, that Jesus was without sin. It says that he's the high priest. He, he stands between us and he can do that. God can look through Jesus at us as the once and for all high priest because Jesus, just like it says that in Hebrews there, that the high priest, what he would do is he would offer a sacrifice for himself and for the people because the high priest was a man just like any other man or woman coming to him. So when he had someone come and they would give an offering to God and they'd come repent and they'd come ask for forgiveness for the life they've been living and they give an offering to God, the priest could have compassion because the priest was a man just like them and he understood that he had flaws and they have flaws and we all need God. And now Jesus Christ did that. He understands your 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 flaws. He understands your issues. He's faced them. And the Bible says that he did it without sin. So the, what the Bible is proving here is that his will had been surrendered long ago. He had already lived his life surrendered. And, you know, the Bible goes on in the book of James to tell us a much lesser scale moment that we all face. And I've read this verse so many times. You're just reading through. I love the book of James. And John and I say sometimes, you know, that James is like the go-to book. If you just need to get in the Word, read something in the Word, 
You know, it's simple. It's only, you know, a few chapters here. So you can just whip through it. And um, I feel like I'm not empty today. I've got some word in me. And sometimes we'll do that. And so I've read this verse so many times. And I, all of a sudden, I, you know, I was just, tr- just trusting the Lord and seeking the Lord about um, this thought, about being surrendered and about my will. And it says in the book of James, chapter 4, verse 13, it says, Come now. You who say, today or tomorrow, we are going to a certain town and we'll stay there a year. We will do business there and make a profit. Just So just right there, just 13 for now. That doesn't sound like that bad of a thing to say. We make those plans all the time. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Planning this. I'm going to do this. And then I'm going to do that. Right, Anthony? Then what were you going to do to your car next? Sorry for that really low blow. Anthony's car was, went through a bit of a mess this week. That's right. Well, we do that. We, we make plans. We do it all the time. We're making plans. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. That doesn't sound like that big a deal. So I think it's easy for us to skim over this verse. We're reading James. Oh, yeah, man. Resist the devil. Just a few verses earlier. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Man, we know that one and we press into that one. But we get to this one and they're like, oh, yeah, keep moving. That's not my issue. Verse 14. Now, we've said th- I've said this one. It's one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. I've said this one so many times. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while and then it's gone. And, you know, when James wrote this, it's, you know, this, is, this thought is in uh, the Psalms, or just it's talking about a breath. It's just a breath. Now, I've read this, and, and I've already got this. I got this. Yes, Lord, I know it. Our time is short, whether you're coming back or whether, or whether our life, right? Some of the older generation can tell us it goes really fast, right? And so I've already, I got this. Our life is so fast. It's so quick. Don't waste time. It's just bam. But we love quoting that, but I forget that this was, you have to think about context, 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 context. And I'm one that really hates when people just take one little word or one verse out of the word and they're not looking at the context. And I've done that so many times. This verse directly follows 13. It's all one thought. And I really believe like the Lord, that the Lord today, uh, you know, and it's just this group here. It's just us, you know, so you take it how the Lord wants it to, you know, for you. But I believe the Lord's telling us, you know, I want you so close. I want you to walk with me where you are seeking me every single day. I mean, all he says is today or tomorrow, we'll do this. And we're going to spend this, even just planning. I don't, you know, I don't believe the Lord's saying not to plan, right? That wouldn't make sense. We have to, you have to plan some things. But I believe that the Lord, he says in verse 15, what you ought to say is, if the Lord wills, if the Lord wants us to. 
Do we ask that question? I think sometimes we, we just, we're going about our life assuming, you've heard me say it, I'm going to say it again. He's not a drive-through, but we do it. I'm guilty of it too. We stop in, we get what we need from God, and we move on, and we start making decisions and plans. And right here, what you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, if the Lord wills, if it's his will, we will live, we will live. First of all, that should be a comma. First of all, if the Lord wants us to, we will live. And do this or that. You know, it wasn't just Jesus and it wasn't just the writer of James here. We have Paul. You have Paul, a couple of instances with him. One in Acts chapter 18. It says, Acts 18 verse 21. He was going from one city to the next and and, um, they're trying to get him to stay. And he says, I'll come back later. I believe when Paul says it, he meant it. I'll come back. God willing. That became a phrase, right? We say that. That's just a cultural phrase. Lord willing, God willing, and it becomes like something you say. But when Paul said it, he wasn't a phrase. It wasn't like, God bless you, just something you say. He says something firm in himself, something he believes, something he knows, but then he has to, he checks himself, God willing. Sometimes we need to do that. We've got a plan. We've got a purpose. We think we're going to do this. We think we're going to do that. But are we stopping to ask his will? And, you know, Jesus is our example. Jesus showed us that by surrendering his will, he completed his task, did something for humanity that no one had ever done, that he could only do in submission to his father, and then reaped the rewards of, you know, sitting next to the father on his throne wasn't his reward. It was us. But that came because of God's will. There's another uh, instance where Paul in Corinthians 4.19, he's going to come deal with some people in the church. There's some issues going on, and he says, you know what, I'm coming. I'm going to deal with it. And I believe when he says it, he meant it. He's like, I'm going I'm to deal with this thing, and I mean it. But then comma, if the Lord wills. If the Lord lets me, he says. We can have all the purpose We can have all the plans we want. We can think we're going to do this. We're going to think I'm going to become that. I'm going to become this. Are we even seeking the one who made us, who gave us purpose, who gave us breath in our lungs? Are we seeking his will? Are we asking his opinion? And we can do it so quickly, so flippantly. We can just be moving and, and not even realize that we're not asking his opinion. We're not asking him. It happens so fast. Believe me, when I preach to you, I don't preach at you. I'm preaching something that I know myself. There's something I'm telling you. That's why, and that's why I always have to ask the Lord, okay, is this for me? Is this, you know, something to bring to everybody? Or are you dealing with me personally? Because that's, I believe that's healthy. 
Um, sometimes he may give me something so fresh and hot off the press that I don't have a chance to process it myself. But this, in, in this case, this hit home very quickly and very easily. We, um, Dawn and I were walking into Target the other day, and tell me if you guys have had this experience. Someone walks up to you and says, have you ever heard about Mother God? Have you had that experience yet? You have, Janet, and you have. Okay, because Dawn had had this experience like five times already. And this is the first time for me, I'm like, give them to me. <laughs> Let me add them. But I hadn't had the experience yet. And it happened so fast that I really, I wish I could have gone back and had more to do with the situation. I didn't realize this was the same thing until we're walking away and Dawn's like, that's the, that's the people. That's what they do. There's this, there's this cult that started in Korea and it's um, made its way to uh, the U.S. And they believe in the entire Bible from cover to cover. Cover to cover. But what they did is, in the very beginning, in Genesis, where God says, let us make man. Okay? That's all right. Yeah, we know that. Sure. He's talking about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's not confusing because we can go to John. And in the book of John, it says that Jesus was with God and nothing was made without him, right? And then we can read that the Holy Spirit hovered above the waters. Okay, so when he said, let us make man, that's not confusing. We've got the Father. We've got Jesus here. And we've got mention of the Holy Spirit. We've got mention of three characters in creation story. And then it says he made man and he made woman in his image. Anything confusing about that? Not to me. But they took that and combined it with a verse in Revelation where Jesus says, my bride, let me and my bride say, come, talking to the rest of the world. Now, again, before I get into their theology, we know what that verse means. He's Jesus and us being the bride. We're equally saying to the world, come, we've got it. We've experienced his goodness. We know what it's like to walk with him. We're his bride. And Jesus is equally, we're saying this together as husband and wife. It's a weird picture, but that's God's picture that we're together as one, right? We're saying to the world, come, come have part of this thing that we call Christianity. And yet what they do is they took those two verses and they said, well, it's clear that God's actually a mother. And the funny thing was, is when the guy caught me and he goes, did you know mother? And I said, no, there's not. I said, no, just like that. Cause I was so caught off guard. I go, no. And he goes, yeah, it's in the Bible. I go, no, it's not. Which dawned then she started scurrying away. <laughs> I said, you're deceived, man. And now he quickly walked away. And we went into Target. We were in a rush. But I, I wish, I looked for him on the way back out because it happened so fast that I, I was like hoping that I could get a, you know, a do-over and just talk to this guy because he was obviously deceived. How does that happen? How can they look at the same pages and get so off? There's nothing in the Bible whatsoever that says Mother God. Or did you try, especially, I haven't done all my research, but is it possible 
that they combined this idea that was already in the earth of a mother earth. You know, they created, took some Eastern theology and they start mixing it together. Is that where that came from? It's not in the Bible. And what you have to do to come up with these cults and these weird faiths and these things is you have to, at some point, reading the same book, you're not asking God his will. And I know that you, you could, I know that it's almost like a stretch, like I don't see the connection here, but you stop asking God to be God in your life and you start looking through that book like a book, you can come up with all kinds of crazy stuff. Because there's verses that, through Jesus Christ, that don't exist. Like, for instance, if you go to Leviticus, it says that you can't wear two different fabrics together. Now, God had his reasons, and he is God. He abolished that system. That's what we would call the law that Jesus abolished. Jesus did not abolish the law of murder. Okay, we're not confused about that. He abolished the law of two different types of fabrics touching each other as being breaking God's law. But if you were to just open that book without the revelation, without looking at the whole picture, without seeking God in that book, you could just pick that out and say, see, and don't think I'm crazy. That's why you see, you start going down, let's just, without pinpointing and picking out other sides of Christianity, but you've seen that. Maybe they are all wearing denim from head to toe. All right, that's where that stuff comes from. They start you know, they start picking up, they take one little thing and then they make it like a theology. And I believe that the Lord is, he wants us so close. We have to, you have to stay close to him because those are obvious examples I just gave you. But you can get off. You can be like Paul and says, I've, I'm purposed it. This is what I'm going to do. And you say it and you think this is the direction I'm going to go. And unless you are constantly saying the Lord wills, what does the Lord want? What is the Lord saying right now? I mean, for this precise exact moment, because I think that Paul had more than enough in him to go deal with that situation. And yet he still says, if the Lord wills. Now, I don't, I don't, didn't do enough research, but he writes a second book to Corinthians. So if I'm not mistaken, doesn't make it there in between. So asking the Lord if he wills, we have to stop and think in my life, where have I done the todays and tomorrows and plannings and doings and goings without asking your will? And the connection is that as soon as you assume that you know where to go and what to do, you'll even in the Bible, stumble across a verse with a heart that's not submitted to him and just create theologies. You, can, you have the power to do that. You have what God has given us called free will. And I've mentioned that a lot when I preach because it's an amazing gift. But unless we freely and willingly give that back to him, we will start thinking up, I mean, just wacky stuff. And it's not a small group. There is um, millions already in that cult. Millions. And what struck me the most was 
even if, I mean, listen, you can, I, you can open up Ezekiel and read some interesting things <laughs> that look like certain things. And I'm going to leave it at that. You can do your own study. Ezekiel chapter one, you tell me what it looks like. But the thing is, that doesn't change my, my theology. I don't read it and go, okay, well, my thinking of God changes. It, Jesus said who he was. He showed us who he was. The whole thing creates one big picture from Genesis to Revelation, creates one picture. And you have to look at the whole thing as one big picture. And if I just start picking out pieces and majoring on them, I'm going to get off. But the reality is, is why did he major on, it's now, it's be one thing to say, we love God, the father and the mother. But if you do a Google image search on these guys, there's nothing about the father. There's nothing about Jesus. That's what happens. You get into your own will. And even with the Bible, as we're not talking about other books, we're talking about the Bible. Even with the Bible, you get, in your, you get on your own way. You get on your own path. You think you know. And you can do an image search, and it says we love our mother. Everything's about the mother. And we're not talking about Mother Mary, okay? They got some other mother. There's another mother that I don't, from another mother. I mean, I don't know where she came from. <laughs> They just came out of nothing. It's not in the Bible. But I wanted to get back to this guy and ask him, why is that your major? Did you, that's fine. I'm not saying it's fine, but it's fine. You want to have a weird thinking that, you know what, maybe I'm looking at us and could that be a woman? Fine, think that in your head. Don't make a theology and a whole entire religion around what you think. That's dangerous. That's what happens. You start saying, I know better than God, not your will, my will be done. What would make me more comfortable? What could, and again, I don't know, but it came out of Korea, what could identify with this people a little bit easier? They're a little more comfortable with the mother of the earth and the father. And here it is in the scripture. I can make that work. How does it happen? We need our will so strapped so connected to him. It just needs to be laid down. Everything we do, every breath we take, God. Now, I'm not saying get in your car and say, at the stop sign, should I go left or right to get home? But you start reading his word and you start thinking that you know better. We all do it. We read a verse, we say, I don't like that. So I just won't put it into practice. We do it subtly all the time. The word's clear on what, who God is, what God likes, and what God doesn't. And I'm not even getting into what the repercussions of the, his, what he likes and doesn't. I'm not even going there, but it's very clear of who God is. But if we just decide, well, I don't like that, so I'm just not going to major on that. I'm gonna, I love verse 15. Yeah, that's what I should say, what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm into the vapor thing. I mean, I'm not trying, I'm not, I'm not flipping. I'm just making the analogy, right? You get me? But I don't like to have to ask the Lord what I want to do. I want to do this. This is what I have in me to do. And sometimes you go to the Lord and the Lord's like, nope, that's not for you. What you thought you had planned, right, Dawn? My wife and I did not plan on a lot of things that God has done and where we've been in life. 
I was going to get out of Wappinger's Falls so fast, so fast. I mean, the moment I turned 18, it's like, I'm out of here. And God's just, you know, he knows what he's doing. You have to say what she said in that song. I don't understand why, but thy will be done. I want to just close with you guys with a story. There's a, 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 when I was studying, I remembered, I was like, I got to find this story. And I didn't remember all the details. I mentioned it on a Tuesday a few weeks ago, but I'm reading it. Man, this is when you know the Lord's leading you. It's right on. So I'm going to, I'm going to read it. I want to just tell it to you, but it's a lot, but I'm going to read it as energetically as possible. Energetically, not genically. But uh, let me read it and just let it uh, minister to you. I believe this was the Lord. This guy named Bill Britton had this vision. And it was just so sharp. It's so right on. Um, I'll get right into it. So he says, On a dirt road in the middle of a wide field stood a beautiful carriage, something on the order of a stagecoach, but all edged in gold and with beautiful carvings. It was pulled by six large chestnut horses, two in the lead, two in the middle, and two in the rear. But they were not moving. They were not pulling the carriage, and I wondered why. Then I saw the driver underneath the carriage on the ground, on his back, just behind the last two horses' heels, working on something between the front wheels of the carriage and the feet of the last horse. I thought, my, he is in a dangerous place, for if one of those horses kicked or stepped back, they could kill him. Or if they, deci if, if they decided to go forward and got frightened somehow, they would pull the carriage right over him. But he didn't seem afraid, for he knew that those horses were disciplined and would not move till he told them to move. The horses were not stamping their feet, nor acting restless, and though there were bells on their feet, the bells were not tinkling. There were pom-poms on their harnesses over their heads, but the pom-poms were not moving. They were simply standing still and quiet, waiting for the voice of the master. As I watched the harnesses, harnessed horses, I noticed two young colts coming out of the open field, and they approached the carriage and seemed to say to the horses, Come and play with us. We have many fine games, and we will race with you. Come catch us. And with that, the colts kicked up their heels, and they flicked their tails, and they raced across the open field. But when the colts looked back and saw the horses were not following, they were puzzled. They knew nothing of the harnesses and could not understand why the horses did not want to play. So they called to them, why don't you want to race with us? Aren't you tired? Are you tired? Are you too weak? Do you have strength to run? You are much too solemn. Hmm. We've been called that, haven't we? You need more joy in life. But the horses answered not a word nor did they stamp their feet or toss their head, but they stood quiet and still waiting for the voice of the master. And again, the cults called to them, why do you stand so in the hot sun? Come over here in the shade of this nice tree. See how green the grass is? You must be hungry 
Come and feed with us. It is so green and so good. You look thirsty. Come drink one of our many streams of cool, clear water. But the horses answered them, Not so. They didn't give as much as a glance, but stood still waiting for the command to go forward with the king. And then the scene changed, and I saw lariat nooses fall around the necks of two young cults, and they were led off to the master's corral for training and discipline. How sad they were as the lovely green fields disappeared, and they were put into the confinement of the corral with its brown dirt and high fence. The cults ran from fence to fence seeking freedom, but found that they were confined to this place of training. And then the trainer began to work on them with his whip and his bridle. What a death for those who had been all their lives accustomed to such freedom. They could not understand the reason for this torture, this terrible discipline. What crime had they done to deserve this? Little did they know of the responsibility that was to be theirs. And when they had submitted to the discipline, learned to perfectly obey the master. Let me read that last line again. Little did they know that the responsibility that was theirs, once they had submitted to the discipline, and once they learned to obey the master, and once they finished their training, all they knew was that this processing was the most horrible thing they had ever known. One of the cults rebelled under the training and said, This is not for me. I like my freedom, my green hills, my flowing streams of fresh water. I will not take any more of this confinement, this terrible training. So he found a way out, jumped the fence, and ran happily back to the meadows of grass. I was astonished that the master let him go and went not after him. But he devoted his attention to the remaining cult. And this cult, though he had the same opportunity to escape, decided to submit his own will and learn the ways of the master. The training got harder than ever, but he was rapidly learning more and more how to obey the slightest wish of the master and to respond to even the quietness of his voice. Finally, this period of training was over. Was he now rewarded with his freedom and sent back to the fields? Oh, no. But a greater confinement than ever now took place as a harness dropped about his shoulders. Now he found that there was not even the freedom to run about the small corral. For in the harness, he could only move where and when his master spoke. And unless the master spoke, he stood still. The scene changed and I saw the other colt standing on the side of a hill, nibbling at some grass. Then across the fields, down the road, came the king's carriage, drawn by six horses. With amazement, he saw in the lead on the right side was his brother colt, now made strong and mature on the good corn in the master's stable. 
He saw the lovely pom-poms shaking in the wind. He noticed the glittering gold-bordered harnesses about his brother. And he heard the beautiful tinkling of the bells on his feet, and envy came into his heart. Thus he complained to himself, Why has my brother been so honored, and am I I'm neglected? They have not put bells on my feet, nor pom-poms on my head. The master has not given me the wonderful responsibility of pulling his carriage, and he has not put me, has not put the gold harness on me. Why have they chosen my brother instead of me? And by the Spirit, the answer came back to me as I watched. Because one submitted to the will and discipline of the master, and one rebelled. Thus one has been chosen, and the other set aside. Then I saw a great drought sweep across the countryside in that green grass that the young cult loved died, became dry and brown and brittle. And the little streams of water dried up and stopped flowing. And there was only small muddy puddles here and there across the fields. He went looking for fresh streams and green pastures, finding none. Still, he ran seemingly in circles, always looking for something to feed his famished spirit. But there was a famine in the land. And the rich green pastures and flowing streams of yesterday were not to be had. And one day the colt stood up on the hillside on weak and wobbly legs, wondering where to go to find food and how to get strength to go. It seemed like there was no use, for good food and flowing streams were a thing of the past, and all the efforts to find more only taxed his waning strength. Suddenly, he saw the king's carriage coming down the road, pulled by six great horses, and he saw his brother again, fat and strong, muscles rippling, sleek and beautiful, and with grooming. And his heart was amazed and perplexed, and he cried out, My brother, where do you find the food to keep you strong and fat in these days of famine? I have run everywhere in my freedom searching for food, and I find none. Where do you in your awful confinement find food in this time of drought? Tell me, please, for I must know. And then the answer came back from a voice filled with victory and praise. In my master's house... There is a secret place in the confining limitations of his stables where he feeds me by his own hand. And his granaries, granaries never run empty and his well never runs dry. And with this, the Lord made me to know that in the day when people are weak and famished in their spirits, in the time of spiritual famine, that those who have lost their own wills and have come into the secret place of the Most High, into the utter confinement of His perfect will, they shall have plenty of the corn of heaven and a never-ending flow of fresh streams of revelation by His Spirit. I wanted to just tell you the story, but I felt like I, needed, I couldn't skip a word in his story because it was that well done. Whether you are in a place where you need to submit for the first time, you haven't surrendered your will at all. I don't think that's many here. 
or just a few. Or your will needs to come into that place of greater confinement. Maybe you've been in the, in the confinement of the Lord and you've been happy running in the stables. And he's asking for more of us. He wants us to submit more and more because what happens is as, as we heard in the story, the world's going running around and they look like they've got it all. Man, they don't worry like we do. They've got everything figured out. David talked about this in the Psalms. Why, do the, why does the world, why do those that do wicked, the bank robber, the mafia, why do they so, they don't never worry about money. It comes so easy for them. They steal it. There seems like there's nothing that ever, and we're struggling. And the Bible really tells us clearly that whether it's, on this earth or not, there's an end for you. There's a time when, when if you've been living with the master, he's your master. If he was your master, he's your master. That's it. The other cult, as he'd been living on the world and been living in his pleasures and living his life, and at some point, those things go, as you know. We've all been down roads of things that at some point, that thing we realized was not good for our life, and it took something from us. But if we submit and we let God direct us, I say so many times, I'll say it today, is it as the closing statement, that you can come to God and look at his word as confinement, or you can look at it as protection and direction. And then you get the, you get the privilege to walk with the master, to take something for God. There's nothing but privilege. The world thinks that you have given up your rights for nothing, given up your freedom for nothing. You've submitted your life to what? And they've got it all. But when the hard times come, you will find, and you know it, if you've been walking with the Lord, you know that through your hard times, it was just as dry out there for you. You're walking through that same, when the, when the master's got to go somewhere, you are fully aware of this dry environment, but somehow in his secret place, when you get back into his stable, he feeds you. And you're walking around in the same world that they are, but you don't have need. He doesn't give you maybe... More than, an, you know, you're not, you're not, you know, you don't have your own bin sitting in your stable. You feel like, man, I don't have my thing here that I just know. He's got it somewhere that you're unaware of, but you know that in the morning, here comes the master and I have what I need for today. I just felt like it was the Lord, this word, and those listening out there on the internet, that if we give him our will and give it all, you're going to look more and more foolish to the world. Every stage of that looks more and more foolish because what are you doing? But God will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He has a plan and purpose for you. And one day, you don't wish for it. You don't wish that that friend, one day you'll see, that's not the right heart. We're not looking like that. But one day, the world will just, they all of a sudden, they look at you and say, how did you get through that? What is your secret? I've been with the master. I've been walking with him. 
what you thought was me giving up my rights was actually the best thing that I ever did because God is my friend. With that, I just want to pray. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that we would surrender to your will. Lord, we're not even here asking you what is it and how to do it. We're just going to say the simple thing we surrender. You direct us. Just as in this story, Lord, the the young cult didn't have to figure that out. You pulled him in deeper and deeper as he was willing when he, when he decided not to rebel and stayed, he went into further submission just by staying. Lord, that's all we can do is just keep choosing you and keep turning to you. And we refuse to try to do things in our own strength. We refuse to try to go out there and figure it out on our own. We refuse to go out into the world and fulfill our desires. We're not going to get our, our, our pleasure and our gain and our, our self-fulfillment from this world. Because Lord, just as in this story, all those things fade. You said the flower grows and it fades. We're a breath. It comes and it goes. But when we know you, it lasts for eternity. And eternity upon eternity, we thank you, Lord, for your will be done in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.